Hey everyone, welcome to today's show. And today it's gonna mean you're gonna have to, you're gonna take a step back in time. And what do I mean by that? This is when we start to put things out there that you have to start to like, oh, I forgot all about that. Wow, I didn't even like, where, where has that been? And we're also gonna tell you how that now is impacting your life as you know it today. And so my guest, Dr. Melissa Goldberg Mintz is a clinical psychologist and author of the upcoming book, Has Your Child Been Traumatized? How to Know and What to Do to Promote Healing and Recovering. And we're gonna take a step back, not just about your children, but about you. So this is gonna be key takeaways. If you've ever thought like, hey, why am I like the way I am? You're listening to The Relaunch Podcast, and I'm your host, Hilary DeCesar, best-selling author, speaker, and transformational coach widely recognized in the worlds of neuropsychology and business launches, which cultivated the one and only 3HQ method, helping midlife women, yep, that's me too, rebuild a life of purpose, possibility, and inspiring business ventures. Each week, We'll be diving into the stories that brought upon the most inspirational relaunches while sharing the methods and the secrets that they learned along the way so that you too can have not just an ordinary relaunch, but an extraordinary relaunch. Dr. Melissa, welcome to the show today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you about this topic. Well, and it's one that we're hearing more and more these days. And it's almost, you know, it's come to this realization that we no longer can just, you know, kind of sweep things under because those gosh, John, as I, I call them bugs, beliefs underground surfacing, they end up coming up at the most inopportune time, right? They sneak through the door holes, they sneak under the door. And then all of a sudden you just wake up one day and you're like, why, why did I react that way? Why did I do that? So help, help us understand what is going on in today's world around specifically this, and how did you get into this with your own relaunch? Yes, absolutely. Well, I love how you put that. It reminds me of a metaphor that I often share with my own patients. And that is that the things we don't want to deal with, it's kind of like a beach ball in a pool. And I don't know if you've ever had a beach ball in a pool before. Perhaps you've tried to push it under the water. (laughs) Um, So what we know about that is that it takes all of our energy and effort and concentration to keep these things down, um, to sweep them under the rug or push the beach ball down. And no matter how hard we are trying to keep that under the water or how diligent we are about sweeping under the rug, it doesn't like to stay there. And it'll come flying up out of the water. Um, And the work of therapy is letting some of the air out of the beach ball and talking about those things, making the space for them. And when we think about relaunching, oh my goodness, it is just so critical to have space to process what happened to you that's holding you back. I like that that whole visual of that beach ball, because you're right, it doesn't just come out in a slow way, it's like you push it down and it just shoots out like a rocket, right? Right. (laughs) And so your relaunch to even get you into this was, can you share your journey here? Because this is some heavy duty, you know, we talk, we're gonna go into inner child, we're gonna go into all of this, but you know, what made you want to really go into this line of work? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So um, let's see, I growing up had a childhood friend who um, experienced trauma herself. So just lots of different types of trauma, um, including sexual abuse. And this was a very close friend of mine. 
Um, and no one around her knew how to help. And uh, gosh, it was just very discouraging for her. And I, I, you know, I also felt powerless. So really just wanted to understand what was going on for her um, and also learn how to help. Also, I think I just had this question. Once, once someone has been traumatized, is, is that sort of it for them? You know, are they damaged for the rest of their lives or can they heal? So I think I, I was very curious about answering that question. And I think that as we go on here, I think that it is a valid question because sometimes we think that we are damaged goods and we don't want to talk about it. And so your your friend, it, it's impressive that she even talked to anybody, right? Because a lot of times as children, we just keep pushing it and we don't want to bring it up. We're embarrassed. We don't know how people are going to react around it. So as, as we go forward, can you, can you help us understand, is this something that you really can eliminate? Yeah. So I want to say just unequivocally, yes. So healing is not only possible, uh, but the majority of people who experience some type of adverse event, whether it's something like sexual abuse or something like a car crash, uh, the majority of people do go on to heal and recover. So um, yes, and I would say that, yes, it is possible for everyone. And so in in your experience, you had this, this major relaunch happen when you were young and you, you watched this friend of yours go through this. How did that impact you as you got older? Sure, absolutely. Well, I think that, so thinking about graduate school um, and psychology, there are so many different things that you can specialize in. I mean, there are people that like working with adults, people that love working with teens, young children, uh, people that love treating depression or anxiety. And I really felt myself drawn to trauma work. Um, I think in part, at least due to my early experience of watching my friend who, um, who had been traumatized. And so when you talk about or when we hear inner child, mm -hmm. the inner child, you know, for those that don't know anything about that, is this something that is there really an inner child? And what exactly does that mean? Sure. Yeah. Wonderful question. So this is something that a lot of therapists talk about in therapy, um, particularly around the topic of shame. Uh, and, and, and shame and self-judgment. So I think that, uh, you know, as adults, we can be so hard on ourselves, particularly around issues of shame. Um, and there can be just a lot of like inner self-criticism. And one way to look at that from a different perspective is to think about yourself as a child and to think, you know, this is who you're talking to. I mean, yes, you are the grown up adult version um, that you are. And that piece of you from your childhood, that is still alive and well and informing decisions on a day to day basis. Mm, that is, <laughs> we, we discussed this quite a bit with bugs and with the belief blaster and trying to understand that, hey, your subconscious never is letting it go. You may think right. like, you know, again, again, shutting those doors. What are, what are some of the childhood traumas that are the most common? So if people are out there listening, like I really didn't have any childhood traumas, you know, that that's not me. Cause I, it was interesting when I did my book, I interviewed um, a bunch of different people and one of the gals said, you know, one, one thing that we, I think her name is, um, uh, Brit. And she said, and she's a therapist. And she said, you know what, here's the thing. We all have trauma. It's just, some of us don't label it that way because in our families with our stories that, that, that isn't a big deal. So we all of a sudden realize we wake up and we're like, wait a second, is that really trauma? Did that really happen? So I'd love to know what are some of these traumas that people are starting to realize? Yeah, that is a trauma. Yes, absolutely. Great question. So first, I'll just clarify a little bit about the difference between trauma and adverse events. So the adverse event is the thing that happens, the thing that was scary or terrifying. And then trauma is what happens in your body after that. 
Um, they, they often go together. And sometimes when we're thinking about um, resilience, uh, adverse events don't necessarily every time result in trauma. But uh, types of adverse events that can and do often lead to trauma, um, you know, things like being separated from a parent for a certain amount of time uh, or having a parent be sick, uh, a parent struggle with drugs or alcohol, um, divorce and separation, as well as things that you might traditionally more think of uh, as being trauma, like witnessing domestic violence, sexual abuse, physical abuse, um, witnessing community violence, um, all of those sorts of things. And then of course, like I hear very many just sort of one-off examples of things that would count, like being attacked by the family pet that could result in trauma, being thrown into a pool at a swimming party and not knowing how to swim that could also result in trauma. That so. would, that's definitely <laughs> problematic. And that, that dog thing, I have to tell you, very interesting. And I'd love to get your take on what happened. I was hiking with my husband, Eric, and two dogs come just racing at us and there's really nowhere to go, but there's a log. He jumps up on it. I try to climb the fence. And of course, you know, I'm in such a state of panic. I slip, I go crashing down. He then is trying to kick off one of them. One of them is a pit bull. And so which I'm not saying I, I actually have family members who have adorable pit bulls, but this one was just going like a bit through my husband's shoe. And it oh was really goodness. interesting that from that point, I've had these dog like nightmares and it's triggered something in my childhood where I was standing at the end of a dock holding my little teeny like Shih Tzu. And all of a sudden this gigantic dog comes like, racing down the dock right at us. Oh. And I mean, there was a point where I'm like, do I jump in? Like, what do I do? Right. And I, you know, I'm kicking at the dog and it was just a terrible thing, but it made me oh. realize it brought up that memory that I had just pushed down, pushed down. So does this happen? Like people later in life may, because your list was so long, right? Separated mm -hmm. from a parent, somebody's sick, drugs, alcohol, divorce, domestic violence, community violence. I mean, there's so much there. Can something in our lives as an adult actually trigger us to remember? And I loved how you just described the adverse event is the actual event. And then the trauma is in the body of what comes after. I, I think that this is such a fascinating, fascinating conversation. So how does that all work together? Yes, absolutely. So that can and does regularly happen. And I'm so sorry that you experienced that. That must have been terrifying. Ooh. Both of the experiences. Were yeah, both of them. Yeah. And I'm oh. giving like some a very high level one because it just it literally just happened. So I was like, you know, but there are others that I have noticed, too. So this is, you know, starting to happen more as I reach, you know, I'm in my mid zone of life. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. So, oh. Lots of different things going on there. So um, first, what we can talk about a little bit is what is happening in your body when you are having those nightmares or having those, we call them re-experiencing symptoms. So it's like, it, it's coming back to you. Um, so where that is stemming from is your body is trying to keep you safe. Uh, so we think about something called our sympathetic nervous system. And so that is the part of our body that is responsible for, I'm not sure if you've ever heard the term, the fight or flight response now, fight, sure. flight, freeze. Yeah. So that is what gets activated when we feel really scared by something and it gets our blood pumping, our heart pumping. Um, it gears us up. So if we need to fight something or run away from some giant pit bulls, like you, you got that juice in your body because that system got revved up and because that system got activated, uh, it, it brings up some, some other things too. So, um, when we think about symptoms of trauma and let me clarify, I'm talking about trauma a lot. 
Um, so most people have some symptoms of post-traumatic stress, but we're not going ahead and diagnosing people with PTSD or anything like that. Um, so when you're having, you know, if you just have nightmares or something like that, you can still be perfectly normal, perfectly healthy. We're not talking about slapping a diagnosis on you or saying you need therapy. So uh, I don't need to, I don't need to check myself <laughs> in right now. Not no. yet. Although, you know, my family members and friends might say maybe it is time, but not quite yet. Okay. No. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, and we can talk a little bit uh, later about like when it might be time to find a therapist. But, you know, having some symptoms like that, especially after experiencing terrifying like you had, um, it makes total sense. And it's your body's way of keeping you on edge in case there are threats that are going to come. So um, your body got revved up when those dogs were chasing you and that helped keep you safe. Your body's still a little bit scared, even when you're you know, safe inside your home dogs aren't going to come breaking into your house and attacking you, but your body remembers and your body's still a little bit on edge. And again, this really just stems from this evolutionary response of our bodies are hardwired to keep us safe. And you got really scared by this terrifying thing that happened. And so let me ask you, so can childhood trauma impact day-to-day -day life as an adult? I mean, is this something now that potentially will, you know, recur, like I'll see another dog. And if it's coming at me, I'll be like, immediately go into that fight flight state. Yeah, I would say it's definitely possible that something like that would trigger your symptoms. And I'd say for people who, um, who do have what we call more clinical levels of post-traumatic stress, it might not even take that. If somebody's got some unresolved trauma um, and it's really weighing on them, they can be triggered by, you know, even just hearing a, hearing a bark on TV. So even if there's not, they're just safe in their home and they hear a bark on TV, that could be enough to trigger um, that fight or flight response. Their hearts start beating really fast. Maybe they start sweating, shaking, trembling, things like that. Well, it is, you know, and, and when you think about it, it's such right now in these uncertain times where they're, when you said uh, the domestic violence, yes. I know that um, recently I heard a horrific um, study that was done that was testing that. And I know that you um, actually know quite a bit of this. We're about to go on a break, but when we get back, I would really like to understand what is happening around the domestic violence and how that can be impacting kids in homes and how they can how as a parent you know if we're if we're the one being attacked what we can actually do to help our children and that inner child so when we come back we'll we'll dig right into that so don't don't miss out don't be gone too long just hang tight and we'll be back with dr melissa this episode is brought to you by my very own labor of love my most recent book relaunch this book is a collection of my stories, other stories, and is a motivational guide to living a new 3HQ lifestyle, sparking your heart to ignite your life. It's available for purchase via Amazon. Get ready to try on the 3HQ method that I've been using for years throughout my entire life, reaching the next level in all areas, both professionally and personally. Get your copy today at www.therelaunchbook.com. Hey everyone, I am here with Dr. Melissa Goldberg-Mintz and we are talking about trauma, but childhood trauma. And as we were taking a break, I said, you know, there's been some really awful things that have come from COVID in addition to people getting sick and domestic violence is something that we're going to be talking about and what's causing it to be on the rise and how this is affecting one as an adult who maybe has experienced this as a as a child but also the child in the house so dr melissa thank you again for being here and i know that you know this is this is a topic that we do not want to discuss because it's so uncomfortable but it is a topic that we cannot not 
bring up. It's that important that we all know so that we can help do something about it. So Dr. Melissa, tell us what is this, you know, what are the, what are the statistics that are happening out there around domestic violence? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. And that is a very tricky question because uh, domestic violence thrives in secrecy. So it is impossible to know the true rates of domestic violence going on right now. What we do know is that since the pandemic started, while certain types of crime decreased, which was wonderful, um, domestic violence was one that really went on the rise. Um, you know, with people being trapped in their homes. Um, So, uh, you know, there are so many stressors going on with the pandemic. I mean, financial stressors, especially within the first year, and many people losing their jobs and just the increased stress in the home. And so sometimes with losing jobs, that comes with vulnerability to abusing substances. And it's just this sort of horrible storm of stressors Um, that might make a family more vulnerable to experiencing domestic violence. And Melissa, Dr. Melissa, are you thinking or are you experiencing that, is this men, women, children? Is it happening to all three? Is, Is there one group that's being more, you know, predominantly like addressed in this horrific, you know, increase? Yeah, so I would say it's happening to everyone. One distinction I have is that um, when children are being abused, we might call that child physical abuse, but when it happens between partners or spouses, that would be, um, you know, or, you know, boyfriends, girlfriends, things like that, that would be domestic violence. Um, And again, so hard to know rates, but but what we know is that um, certainly uh, in terms of crime reports, higher reports of domestic violence between partners living in the home and then for children in witnessing this domestic violence which is an adverse event you know even if no one touches them well and you discussed that before that trauma is a cause it's or excuse me it's an effect of this adverse event it's something that then trauma happens in the body so when we have a trauma and whether it is uh, domestic violence or whether, as you said, with children, you know, that are, they're witnessing it or a part of it, this is a, a deep seated trauma and that can, you know, we could suppress it. What happens as you get older? What are you seeing that, you know, comes up? for people that have had these these major traumas in their life. Sure, oh my goodness. So people take it all sorts of different ways. It depends on how they cope. Um, for For some people, for some kids who witness things like that, they might decide relationships aren't safe. I'm gonna go it alone and not seek out romantic relationships or even friendships because relationships feel scary to them. So some people might go that route. Others uh, might be drawn to the familiar. Um, And, you know, uh, there's this saying in my field, you do what you know. Mm -hmm. And so if what you know is uh, physical abuse and domestic violence, that feels familiar and that feels more comfortable to you than it would if you grew up in a home without that. Um, Another thing I've seen is uh, people uh, getting together with partners who maybe aren't physically abusive, but are sexually coercive or even emotionally abusive. And they think, you know, well, he's never hit me. She's never hit me. So this is a good relationship. Um, When your reality is skewed by what you experienced growing up. So that's a great point because emotional abuse can be just as traumatic and cause just as much trauma as the physical. And we don't think that a lot of times we think, oh, we're weak. We're like, you know, I'm so sensitive. I just shouldn't let that bother me. But especially when that happens, when you're, you know, under that seven to eight year old, where you're just being blasted with it, that you're no good, you're, you know, not worthy or all the things that, that we are so inclined as human beings to want, right? We want to be loved. We want to feel like we belong. We want to feel like we are good enough. 
And so can you walk us through a little bit that if indeed you have something like this, are these people traumatized that have been traumatized, you know, whether it's emotionally or physically destined to struggle with mental health symptoms for the rest of their lives? Uh, so no, not necessarily. And I, I don't think it makes someone better or worse if they do or if they don't. Um, it sort of just is what it is. Uh, but what we know is that um, particularly if while experiencing adversity, somebody had at least one secure attachment relationship. So what that means is just someone who they could reliably count on to take care of them just consistently, uh, th that would do a great job in protecting them against some of those manifestations of post-traumatic stress. Now that's not always the case. Someone can have that and still go on to develop um, those symptoms. But what we know is that that's a protective factor. So are you saying, Dr. Melissa, that this is a person that as they're going through it, or this is a person as an adult, if they have somebody that is in a, that is a secure relationship for them, that they can then handle some of these emotions that come up? Yeah, so I meant as a child, but okay. now that you say that, I yeah. think having a secure attachment relationship as an adult, either with a close friend, a partner, anybody, um, that that goes a long way in helping us regulate our emotional distress. And so talking, why why do they always say keeping it in is like the, the toxin? Yeah. Letting it out uh, really helps to create your pathway to a better future. Why, why, what is that? How does that, how does that relate to what we're talking about? Oh my goodness. I love, yeah, that is spot on. So, um, it's like the beach ball in the pool we were talking about before, or, you know, say you uh, fall off your bike and take a spill and cut your knee open. Uh, you know, you know what you got to do. You got to clean it out with some alcohol or some soap, something sterile to keep it from getting infected. And that doesn't always feel great. And what we know is that that is how our wounds heal and how we prevent infection. And so holding things in are just sort of like that. And you're, it's, you're getting infected. Um, yeah, we, we don't want to bottle these things up. And of course, that's what people generally do. You know, it feels more comfortable. And we do have these thoughts like, oh, I should be over this. Or that wasn't that big of a deal. Or I shouldn't be so sensitive. You know, but what we know is that those type of thoughts are what get us stuck um, in our recovery and keep us from recovering. Mm. So let's talk about this because this is so fascinating to me in regards to letting go of the past. And I talk a lot about your bugs, these beliefs underground surfacing. And I have a process called the belief blaster that I take people through and it, it's neuro-based. It takes 67 days to synaptically prove, which means basically you're breaking down that limiting belief so that you're creating a new empowering belief. But what about, like, how are you recommending to truly be able to let go of the past when subconsciously it's still there you know, what can we do? Yeah, yeah, I love that. So I think the first part is realizing, you know, this is always going to be a part of your story. This is always going to be a part of your history. And if you want to picture something in keeping with this wound metaphor, um, we want to go from like an open gaping wound that's just raw and painful into a scar. So it's always going to be there. You know, if you look for it, you'll always be able to find it. And it's healed. So I think that's the first thing is accepting like it's not going to be like one day you're done and, you know, it can you'll never think about it again. Um, so realizing like, yep, yeah, this is always going to be a part of my story and like I can still heal from this. Mm. Yeah. And so you decided to take this even further and you wrote a book. Yes. The book is, congratulations. Thank I understand you. there's some exciting news that it's coming out tomorrow. So by the time people really listen to this, this is going to be like, it's out, it's there. And it is 
has your child been traumatized? How to know and what to do to promote healing and recovering. Can we talk more about this important subject and why you thought it's time to write this book right now? Yes, absolutely. Um, Thank you for asking. So there are so many amazing books out there about how to raise resilient children, which is such an important topic. Um, You know, I've read many of these books. I recommend them to my own patients. And when it comes to how to parent and how to support a child that's already been traumatized, there's not as much out there. There are some books out there, but they're very specific and dealing with certain populations. I wanted to write a a general book for parents because there also are a lot of books out there for therapists telling therapists how to help traumatize kids. But I wanted to write this book for parents um, just given what was going on in the global landscape. Uh, just so much adversity in the world right now. And I wanted parents to know there is still so much hope for children. Um, They don't all need therapy. What they do all need is a warm, supportive relationship uh, with a caregiver, whether that's mom or dad or a grandparent, foster parent, aunt, uncle, whoever it is. Um, But every child needs that. And so what's the best way to harness a relationship to really foster something that you know they all need this very supportive and if there is you know trauma that's going on in their body and there's been these these adverse events and potentially as you said divorce and i my parents got divorced when i was about four years old you know mom and dad are going through their own thing Mm -hmm. so what's the best way to really help foster a relationship that would be supportive. Absolutely. So I have, I break this down in my book about very specific ways to foster this relationship, but my number one go-to intervention for this has always been, and likely will always be quality one-on-one time between parent and child. Uh, so gosh, I just think there's no replacement for this. Uh, I know this can be hard, you know, for working parents or parents, um, of multiple children, parents who have a lot going on themselves. Um, and it's so critical, not just to fostering the relationship, but also to building self-esteem in your child. So, you know, quality time can be anything. It can be baking cookies together. It can be taking the dog on a walk. It can be, um, you know, watching a TV show together, provided that you're, you know, side by side talking about what's going on. Uh, But the most important thing is that it's just the two of you doing something together that you both enjoy. And you mentioned building that Mm self-esteem. Is there a point where building self-esteem is super important in certain age groups of children or is this something that you know i've heard you know the decision making of brains you know it's really early 20s when that's finally uh, developed right something like you know that uh, deductive reasoning (laughs) happens is self-esteem something that really forms as a child so i will say yes to that And I would say, even if you have a perfectly confident child who, um, you know, grew up with all the confidence and self-esteem in the world, uh, if they experience something scary enough, their worldview is going to be totally shaken. So it would be normal that even if they grew up very confident with very high self-esteem, that they need a boost after something terrifying happens. So, yeah. And you know what's interesting about that? It's always fascinating to me that... The, the ones that look like they've got it all together mm-hmm. on the outside are the ones that are really struggling on the inside. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And for, for some kids and for some adults, that's how they cope. That's what makes them feel better to put together a very strong, confident outward persona that makes them feel better about the chaos inside. And we don't begrudge them that it, it does feel good to have people perceive you, you know, in that you're someone who has your stuff together. This is a strong person, a person I can rely on. So, so what happens to them is that there's another adverse event that happens that then they can't keep it all together or what, what finally is the straw that breaks the camel's back with people like that? 
Oh my goodness. You know, I would say it, it can vary a lot. So yes, certainly an adverse event can be a trigger for that. Um, other times, you know, what we know about that is sometimes that's just not sustainable. So even without an adverse event, sometimes it's like, you know, their sack of potatoes just gets a little too heavy. So even, you know, they weren't getting enough sleep for a period in time. That's not an adverse event in itself. Maybe they were just having a hard time with sleep or they weren't eating enough. And gosh, just those basic needs are so important to meet. And your load feels a lot heavier when those needs aren't being met. So I think it could range from an adverse event to, uh, you know, sleep impairment or something as basic as that. So if we are as a parent, and I am a parent of three kids plus two you know, wonderful stepkids, how can I, what, what sign should I be concerned with in my children? Right. Yes. So my, my key go-to on that is we are going to look for any change from baseline. So if we were talking a little bit about eating and sleeping, if your kid is a great sleeper who all of a sudden is up all night, a red flag. But if your kid was always struggling with sleep, then, you know, a few nights struggling with sleep is not as much of a red flag. Similarly, if you have a very picky eater who's not eating a ton, that wouldn't necessarily raise a red flag. But if you had a kid, a robust eater who loved breakfast, lunch, and dinner plus snacks, and then all of a sudden um, it's gotten really picky or just says they're not hungry, red flag. Um, so changes with eating and sleep, as well as things like interest in friends. Maybe you had a really social kid who loved having sleepovers, um, all of a sudden not so interested in it. Okay, that's a big change from baseline. It would make me curious about what was going on there. And if you want to be curious because you're like, huh, okay, this is triggering something in me right now. <laughs> what is the first thing that they could as a parent do? If you notice one of these key, they're not sleeping well, they're not um, eating, they're not with their friends. What's, what's one thing that you can do? Yeah. So I would say the number one thing is start with your stance. Take a curious stance. Don't accuse them of anything. Just really wonder. And if you're going to make a comment to them, approach it from a place of curiosity, like, huh, you normally love my spaghetti and meatballs. You know, did I do something differently? And, you know, this is like something that is very easy for them not to take personally. You're making it about you. You're staying curious. Um, but yes, that could just be one idea, but there's much more. Well, and we're going to come back. We're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, it's I'm going to I'm going to take you there, everyone. How do you know if potentially your child has been traumatized? How can you you know, what can you do? And how can you promote healing and recovery? We're going to get back to Dr. Melissa when we get back. So stay, stay tuned and let's hear these amazing suggestions when we get back. This episode is brought to you by my very own Labor of Love, my most recent book, Relaunch. This book is a collection of my stories, other stories, and is a motivational guide to living a new 3HQ lifestyle, sparking your heart to ignite your life. It's available for purchase via Amazon. Get ready to try on the 3HQ method that I've been using for years throughout my entire life, reaching the next level in all areas, both professionally and personally. Get your copy today at www.therelaunchbook.com. Hey everyone, I am here with Dr. Melissa and we now are gonna go deep into how's your child been traumatized and how to know and what to do to promote healing and recovery, which by the way, is her new book that is in pre-sale. By the time you're hearing this, it's gonna be out. We're so excited about that. But Dr. Melissa, you said something as we were about to take the break and you said that it's really important as a parent to not be defensive, but be curious, mm -hmm. be curious in how you ask them. And I loved what you said in terms of, I always make this and you loved it. You know, you love my meatballs, you love my spaghetti, and then they're not eating. And so give them an opportunity to not give you the yes, no answers, right? That's so important. But let's go back to this, you know, what you wrote your book on, 
And that is, you know, has your child been traumatized? What if you're a parent and you're like, I, I don't know. I don't know. Has he, has he or she been traumatized? Right. Absolutely. So, oh man, this is my topic. So after an adverse event, I, I will say I get many calls. I feel so many calls every year from parents whose child has experienced an adverse event, something that has the potential to traumatize. They are very insistent on bringing their kid in. I meet their kid and their kid is totally fine. They were very resilient. They were not traumatized and parents can't understand that, but this was so terrifying. Um, and, and it was to them. Um, and to their child, you know, not necessarily the case, or maybe it was scary and they healed and recovered naturally. So um, I will say that sometimes after experiencing adversity that, that your child will go on to heal naturally. Other times after an adverse event, um, a child may have some post-traumatic stress. Sometimes this resolves on its own. Other times it doesn't. I tell parents the time to come see me or another therapist is if you notice that your child's stress symptoms are interfering with day-to-day -day life. So interfering with them, focusing at school, um, having get-togethers with their friends, sleep with sleeping and eating, with functioning at home. So if these things are being hampered and this has been going on for a bit, then I would say that's the time to bring them into therapy. And so that is, it's the stress symptoms when you notice that. And once you do notice, mm -hmm. um, are you saying that therapy is the only way to go or do you offer other tips? Again, there's a point where you got to get to a therapist, but yes. help parents understand when is therapy a must versus some tips that you might have to help. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So if your child is experiencing suicidal ideation or self-harm ideation, if they want to hurt themselves or they're thinking about ending their own lives, no question about it. Absolutely. They need to get into therapy. And I would even say, if it's a question about their lives and their safety, you don't want to wait on some therapist wait list or even wait a week to get them in. Um, you can call 911. You can call a local crisis outreach team, um, a mobile crisis outreach team even that might come to your house for you. So um, I would say that is something that <laughs> even more quickly than therapy needs a response. Um, but also if you're seeing major misbehavior, so if your child is hurting siblings or destroying property, punching holes in the walls, kicking the family dog, things like that, yes, we, we immediately need to get into therapy for that. Um, also high risk or impulsive behavior. So we talked a little bit about self-harm already, but other things like high risk sexual behaviors, um, drug or alcohol abuse, things like that, uh, that would tip me off that therapy could be really helpful. Um, if it's sort of like smaller beans issues. So if we're seeing Before we go into the oh, small go beans, mm -hmm. um, you know, having two daughters and lots of friends and different, I've definitely, um, I've definitely heard many, many, many stories about self-harm cutting and we just um, had a conversation around this uh, the other day where my, my daughter said, hey, it's on the rise. More and more people are, are feeling like this is an option. And I, 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 don't, I, I need you to help me understand the self-harm of you know, what's behind that when it has to do with their trauma. What are they, what are they solving for in doing that? Yes. So again, like every other answer I've given you, it's so many, it could be so many different things. Right. I would say um, oftentimes it's uh, to cope with emotional distress. So um, if they are cutting or burning themselves or something like that, for them, it's easier to feel physical pain than it is to feel emotional pain. So it's a distraction technique. Um, from the emotional pain. So that is commonly what I see. Uh, other times I hear kids talking about feeling numb and they want to feel something. So that's another reason behind it. Other times kids will hear about their friends doing it in their peer group. And it's also a little bit of curiosity. So they might start to try that. So there are 
so many different reasons. Um, and there are a lot of things that kids are trying that as adults, you know, and, and I hear about them and I'm like, are you crazy? But you have to say, you can't do that again. As you said, you can't, you know, that's the craziest thing. No, you have to take it from that side of curiosity. Yes. Of asking the question, you know, what, what, what do you think that they're, how are they benefiting from that? What do they like about it? What is, you know, why, why did, why are they doing what they're doing in the sense of, you know, are they trying to get something out of it? And I know there was that whole thing around Robitussin and drinking a lot of Robitussin because there's alcohol and you can get a buzz. And then there's, there's all these like how kids figure out these things. It's, it's just, you know, we all as parents are like, what we hear about these things, but you, you know, so much more about, you know, there, as you said, a lot of times it's because they can't deal with it and it gives them, it gives them their own form of an outer feeling, whether it's emotional or physical. So super fascinating. Okay. So now let's go on to, those are the big ones. That's when you know, you need to get to a therapist. But what are what are things that you see that you know what you know you can hear some of my top tips for those types of situations? Sure, sure. Um, so one thing I frequently see after a child has experienced an adverse event is uh, increased emotionality and behavioral regression. So you know a kid experiences something scary and then wants to sleep in mom and dad's bed. Um, or a kid, you know, starts using a baby voice, things like that, um, or is just more tearful frequently. So those are things that are super common after experiencing an adverse event. And what my number one tip for parents, uh, and this is a very basic one, is more TLC. Give that child more TLC. Um, give them more love, give them more support. They're needing it. Uh, and then also remind yourself as a parent, because it can feel hard when, when your child is needing you more than they had. Um, just keep in mind, this is temporary. This is not going to be forever. That is a great one because a lot of times, especially when we may not think that the event was an adverse event, we might think that, you know, you'll get over that. That's not a big yeah. deal. We have to be thinking from their perspective and you have to give them the respect that something's going on so that you have to be able to remind yourself give yes. them that tlc give them that love give them the attention prioritize them and i love what you said that it too will you know it will pass right this isn't yes. something that's going to be long term and then i know you have a, a couple more tips so i'd love to hear another one yeah absolutely so um Gosh, so getting more specific with more TLC. So uh, my go-tos, I have three of them. So um, give them specific labeled praise. So when they're doing something that you want to see more of, let them know that. So, you know, like, oh, wow, Jane, I love how you shared your colors with Tommy. That was so nice. Thank you for that. Um, just specific labeled praise. And then also let them know you're paying attention when they're doing other things that are more neutral. So just describing what they're doing, you're really like loading them up on positive attention. And then when they do things that are not as desirable, so maybe they start talking back to you or something like that, um, using something that in the field we like to call selective attention or planned ignoring. So you're heaping on the attention when you're seeing behavior you like or behavior that's neutral. And when we see this minor misbehavior, we're using selective attention. So those are, I love those, those. are great. So it's, it's specific praise on things that mm -hmm. they're doing well. And it's to let them know that, you know, you're paying attention by praising them, even when it's a little something you don't have to. And it's not, I don't hear that you're saying you got to go, you know, oozy, oozy. You just have to, you got to let them know you're there. Yeah, let them you're know there, you're listening. you're listening, you're attending to their behavior. And then I love that planned ignoring, planned mm -hmm. ignoring. So good. Well, I know that you have your book coming out and it's a pre-sale right now. So for those yes. listening right now, how can they find out more about this book? 
Absolutely. So uh, it will be available wherever books are sold. So wherever you like to get your books from, um, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, through my publisher, which is the Guilford Press, um, they all will be carrying the book. Uh, also, feel free to check out my website, which is melissagoldbergmints.com. Um, or follow me on Instagram with uh, the same name, Melissa Goldberg Mets. Well, Dr. Melissa, this has been so great. What a timely book. We are so excited to have your, has your child been traumatized? How to know and what to do to promote healing and recovering, recovery. It has to, like timing is everything. And especially with what you were sharing about violence in the homes. It is perfect timing. I wish you all the best in terms of getting this book out there. And, you know, there are there are those I know how difficult it is to write the books. And I can only imagine this topic. It was probably heart wrenching to you. Yes, you know, that and at the same time, heartwarming, uh, just recalling stories of resilience in kids and families and parents. Um, so I think, you know, you can't have one without the other. And you know uh, that is yeah. such a great way to say that, that it's, you know, not only heart wrenching, but heartwarming, mm -hmm. because you're right. And you've used resilience um, many times today. And it's so true. You know, it's I think it's probably that the height of what I share with relaunch, right? That there's got to be a sense of resilience. And as you said, there's got to be this, you know, awareness. And when you can release, when you can accept, when you know that it wasn't, you know, necessarily, it's not as a young child, we, we take on the blame of it all. And you gotta, you gotta shed that. So, so thankful for you to be here and enlightening us. Everyone next week, I am going to be going deep. I am bringing Patrick back as a co-host, and we are going to talk about all things Africa and the impactful lessons that came from that. You are not going to want to miss this because they are really crazy and impactful for everyone. So I'm excited to share. And so make sure, live now, love now, relaunch now. And when you think about how do I start? Go over to therelaunchco.com and sign up for our free 3HQ workshop. See you next week. You've just heard another episode of the Relaunch Podcast. If something shared in this episode resonated with you, please head over to iTunes right now and leave us a five-star review. And share this episode with others to inspire them to take the small steps that lead to a life full of purpose and possibility. And remember, you can have immediate access to the show notes and any giveaways at therelaunchco.com backslash podcast. Until next week, now is your time to relaunch your transition into a transformation.